Welcome to Hashtag Jazz, the family-friendly Grow a f***ing pair Podcast exclusively about Utah Jazz basketball I hate this history class From two of the most Emotionally unstable Guys in the business And now, here are your hosts Jason Walker and Trey Sanders Hello everybody and welcome back once again to Hashtag Jazz for episode 50 now that we've finally hit our third season of recording these podcasts and talking about our Utah Jazz, uh, we've made it to the half-century mark. So I guess we'll call it one metric James Harden, I guess. <laughs> so that's like his I thing is scoring 50-point games. Or that I guess Wilt, Ch- Wilt Chamberlain, half one metric Wilt Chamberlain. Yeah, I, you know, I'll take that over James Harden. James Harden <laughs> is great offensive player, but he's still a, you know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm kind of dancing on the ashes of his early season so far, just because he's playing so awful. Like he had like the 50 point for like 58 point game the other day, but like outside of that, he's shot like 12 percent from three point range. Oh and really? It's just, and like 35 percent overall, it's something like that. Huh. Um. And then as we're recording this, the Rockets are losing by, like, 28. So uh, I, the fact that, you know, two of my least favorite players, Russell Westbrook and James Harden, are on the same team, and they're both going through some struggles, just fills me with that kind of dark happiness. Yes, you know? great joy. <laughs> but <laughs> let, let's focus on, on our team here, uh, the team we cover and talk about most, the Utah Jazz which is apparently, I feel like we talk about the Rockets too much. Like They're our secondary team to hate on. Yeah, we should probably um, stop doing that. Man, Hashtag Jazz Rocket something. I don't know. I'm not clever enough right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. No, it's, it's too, late in the, too late in the evening. So, <laughs> the, so the Jazz season, they started 4-2. and two. Unless I've forgotten completely how to do mathematics and records, um, but I haven't because they are four and two as of recording. They're going to play later tonight, so by the time this podcast goes up, that record will have changed. Mm-hmm. So they'll they'll be playing the Clippers again, which the last time they played them, they kicked their butts because Kawhi Leonard and Paul George were out. Now I believe Kawhi Leonard will be back because I think that was just one game like rest or something. Yeah, and I actually, that that one was a little, I don't understand that. We're in October, and you're doing this load management BS. Like, I'm sorry that if, if Kawhi needs to play the next night against his former team, like, I get that, like, have all of his energy for, like, a revenge-type game. But at the same time, like, he's a year and a half removed from his injury. Why? I, I To me... It's just kind of like a slap in the face. It's like, eh, we don't really want to play hard against you guys. I don't know. Well, that just was weird. Well, it's weird because Utah, they're projected to be one of the top teams in the Western Conference in mm-hmm. such a tight Western playoff race. If it fills out about as close as everyone's thinking it will be, we're, you know, tiebreakers are going to be important. And it's like you sure. threw away a game against the Jazz in October that may come to bite you in the butt later on. It probably won't because I think the Clippers are going to finish several wins ahead of the Jazz for fairly obvious reasons. But then again, this October, November without Paul George could set them back a few expected wins. Right. And maybe instead of, you know, 
you know, obviously odds of this aren't great, especially since we're this close, but like if we get to the Western Conference Finals and it turns out to be Jazz Clippers somehow, and the Jazz get home court advantage because you decided not to play Kawhi Leonard in one random October game when he was just fine, that's, <laughs> you know, that's unintended consequences, and that's something, you know, I feel like kind of like you were saying maybe it was unnecessary. At least that's what I'm saying. It, was, it felt unnecessary. didn't seem like he was injured at all. It was just, well, maybe we're just trying to throw the game away because we don't want to try too hard against Utah. Yeah, I just, you know, that's just a little disrespectful. Like, uh, to me, I, I know that, you know, Doc Rivers has a lot of respect for um, not just the Jazz organization, but for Quinn Snyder specifically. It's just a little bit odd that we're treating, like, I know Kawhi is, you know, we should, you know, if I had him, yeah, I want to make sure he's healthy all season long. But at the same time, like, we're game, what was that, four? Game four or three of the entire season and we're resting him? Like, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. And he's having, like, an historic start to his year. Like, I mean, he's solidifying the fact, just in this short amount of time, that he is the best player on the planet right now. Yeah. So it, it is kind of weird, and maybe it's the exact opposite. Maybe it was respectful, where he's like, I don't want Kawhi Leonard to be wasting his energy in a game that they'll probably lose to the Jazz. I mean, maybe that was it, but I don't know. It, it just... Yeah, it, I mean... It did make a ton of sense. Right, yeah. I mean, we can sit here and speculate for days, but, I mean, for, for me on the surface level, it's just... It's odd. It's a little bit disrespectful. I don't. I just. I don't get it. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about how we thought the Jazz done so far. So again, six games in, four and two. They could be four and three or five and two by the end of tonight. Uh, what have your thoughts been as far as meeting or exceeding or maybe being below expectations? I have a hard feeling it's not going to be the third one. <laughs> um. I mean, to go back to the last episode, um, you know we were a little concerned about the defensive effort throughout the preseason and boy, did they shut us up real quick. They're yeah, number one. I mean, number one defensive rating in the NBA. Um, I think the, the game against the Sacramento Kings was the first time a team has broken past 96 points against us. So that's awesome. Um, as far as where I'm at with like, I was expecting the offense to just kind of continue on through from the preseason into this season. I'm not like I'm not seeing that all that much. Like the offense is yet to click. Um, it's pretty obvious that there's still a lot of work to be done as far as everybody knowing where each other is going to be in the offense. Um, so our turnover rate is ridiculous right now. I think we're yeah we're seventeen point four turnovers a game right now, and that is worrisome because we were right at the we were right in the bottom I think five last year in terms of turning the ball over too much. And that, that I think, will even itself out as we go. But um, right now, there's just so many different things going on. That things seem to be coming together. Um, but if I were to grade it right now, I'd give us about a C. Because there is something there. It's just not, like, there's certain things that are clicking in one night, not the other night. And it's just vice versa. Yeah, I'd say that's... Yeah, as far as letter grades, that's that's probably lower than I'd put it, but then again, I'm not you. It's just the way it is. Mostly <laughs> yeah. um, because obviously being 4-2, and two, there's only so many things you can complain about, and the Jazz are one 
made basket away from being five and one mm-hmm. with the one loss being to LeBron James and Anthony Davis, which granted that was an awful game. Um, and, and the thing that probably would drag the grade down is that the fact that we're an ugly four and two, that the defense has been good, but the offense, like I said, there's, there's things that are clicking one night, not the other. And for the most part, they just aren't clicking on offense. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe the nature of the preseason kind of had us off. I didn't watch a whole lot of preseason basketball. I don't really know if I watched any. Um, I, I had other things to do than watch preseason NBA. Uh, I never watched preseason NFL. <laughs> so, but the thing with, you know, the NFL is you can't watch the scoreboard. You don't take away, you know, if your team averages 48 points in the preseason. You know, you don't worry about it. To be honest, in the preseason, NFL teams actually – it feels like they tend to average like in the teens or low twenties, even the best teams. And, <laughs> but you know, you get into the NFL season and they're scoring 20, 30, 40 points, you know, everyone's scoring tons of points. And I don't, so, and, but I know more about the NFL preseason than I guess the NBA. Cause I've got, I've had more experience with the NFL preseason and following it. Um, so maybe the, I'm guessing the nature of the NBA preseason is more more offense, less defense. And so we maybe we fell into the trap. You know, obviously I fell into it because I was just kind of scoreboard watching with the preseason. Maybe the Jazz were just going to be better on offense, worse on defense. Turns out it's kind of more the same from last season where plenty of defense and things aren't clicking on offense. Uh, the difference being is that I have confidence that the offense can get better. Um mm-hmm keyword being can i uh, i want to make sure that it actually will and i think there's signs that it's getting better but again we kind of have to play the waiting game here of let's see who gets better i mean mike conley's kind of you know the spotlights on him as far as the offense where most everybody else seems to be shooting all right but he's just struggling a ton and as he kind of comes out of his october slump maybe the offense will get better so. Yeah, and that's the that's the hope. Um, I, I thought it was an interesting statistic now that you brought up Mike Conley um, that David Locke pointed out on Twitter that in the past three uh, seasons, including so far in uh, this season, in the month of October, Conley was 37% field goal, 21% from three in 17-18, uh, 38% field goal, and 28% from three in 18-19. He is 32% and 29% from three uh, in this previous October. For his overall career, he's 80, 38%, uh, 29.7% from three in 31 games. So, you know, it, it, when you say that, yeah, there, there are signs that things are getting better, there absolutely is. Um, because Mike Conley had his breakout party um, the last time they were here in Salt Lake, and it was awesome to see it. Because you could just tell that, you know, he was looser. He was feeling it. He had this emotion. It was just, it was awesome to see. So, yeah, there's that. But And then Bojan, um, you know, he's he's still figuring things out as far as where he needs to be within the offense. But I, well, we say this all the time, but Quinn Snyder's offense is a little more complicated because not only is it you'd have to rely on your habits and what you've learned throughout your entirety of your basketball life but you also have to be more aware and make reads on the fly 
So a lot of people that that's hard to figure out. I t- I'll tell you right now, I could not figure out Quinn Snyder's offense. He has those set plays, but there's so many other options that are available that it's just remembering where that spot is. Conley's not quite yet, there yet. Uh, that that Kings game, he had two very very awful turnovers. And it was just because he was expecting it, someone to be somewhere else, and they just weren't there. So, I mean, yeah, these are all high, high IQ guys. So I can't imagine that we're they're going to stay in this slump forever. And I don't, I don't ever see it coming to the point where we get to the playoffs and all of a sudden everyone's forgotten how to play again. I just, I, I don't see that. We don't have the Ricky Rubio, who, you know you can slack off him all you want and just dare him to shoot a three Conley you can't do that you can't do that with Bojan you can't do that with Jeff Green you can't do that with Donovan you can't do that with anybody except Rudy Rudy's not going to try and shoot a three and if he does you dare him to do it if he makes it then it's like well damn <laughs> yeah you just go back down the floor it's like well he won't do that again yeah uh, he, he has yet to do it in his career uh at least in the regular season. I know Ben Simmons, he made a three-pointer, but it was preseason, wasn't it? Yeah, it was preseason, and everyone lost their minds, but I guess, yeah. I mean, makes game, I, again, I just pray that Rudy Gobert makes one before Ben Simmons does. In the regular season? Yeah, that'd yeah be in, the, in nice. the regular season. Because in practice, you know, Rudy Gobert can hit him in practice, but you know yeah. what? So can I. Uh, yeah. Well, some practices. <laughs> and to be honest, they're not NBA threes, so I'll, I'll, I'll rescind that remark. Sure, sure. <laughs> I can hit high school three-pointers sometimes. <laughs> Depends on the night. But, yeah, I think with Mike Conley, yeah, the key just is going to be, you know, waiting this out. And the one thing that is interesting is turnovers because that has been a problem for a while. And I'm not sure where you're going to cut down too much on them. It's just like the whole team. It's a hard thing to just randomly cut down on. Maybe it's just coming from a new team playing together, you know, so many different new pieces playing with a bunch of old pieces, so, you know, they're not as familiar with each other as far as the offensive sets and things like that. Um, but, I mean, right now, the, the leaders in turnovers, you have Rudy Gobert at, you know, almost three and a half a game. And Mike Conley, you know, being the point guard, he's got 2.8, and then it's Boyan, Emmanuel Moutier, Joe Ingles, and Donovan Mitchell. That's kind of rounding out your top playmakers there. Maybe we'll just have to see. We've been waiting for the Jazz to cut down on turnovers for about three years, and they haven't done it yet. So hopefully it's yeah. just something they can take care of. I, I don't know. I don't know either. I mean, it's just something where it's like you, you make these purposeful passes. You've got all these open looks, and then you're trying to like either make something. I've, I've seen Joe do it a ton of times already this year where you just make this lackadaisical pass, and it gets picked off, and he's like – he like you know visibly just puts his shoulders down, his head down. Is like oh, crap. Well, I gotta run back the other way. But yeah, and and Moutier, in the preseason he was making he was making great reads, passing the ball. Now all of a sudden he's back to being selfish again. He's not playing within the offense. He's pressing the issue on his on his own, playing isolation basketball. That doesn't make sense to me at all. But I will say this too: teams have picked up on the fact that. You know, the majority of Rudy's points are going to be coming from that screen and roll. And when he gets up to the basket, it's done deal. Like, if he's up in the air and that lob's there, it's in the basket. So a lot of teams have gotten better at that. So you don't see many screen and roll assists 
with uh, you know the point guard or whoever the playmaker is on that pick and roll throwing the lob to Rudy because it's just it's really not there anymore. Yeah, well, I think it's working with Joe Ingles. Like when I've been watching, I've been thinking, why aren't they running it more with Rudy Gobert? And it feels like Joe Ingles is the only one who has a really good connection right now as far as that screen and roll. Yeah, but he's been doing this with him for three years now. Yeah, but yeah, so it's like, well, where's you know Donovan Mitchell? They're, they've done it. it's obviously happened. But it's like you know, where's Mike Conley doing this with him? You know, Mike Conley is mm-hmm. a guy who can average, you know, between five and seven assists a game. Mm-hmm. You know, where's and that floater is his thing. So like, maybe floater to Rudy Gobert. And again, he's done that, but it feels like it's just not common enough. To where it was last season, where the Jazz were just eating teams alive with Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors in the pick and roll, whoever was on the court. Yeah. Which kind of explains why Rudy Gobert, his points per games are really down. And again, some of these were expected, but for the first few games of the season, Rudy Gobert just felt like he was just whisper quiet on offense. And just, he wasn't scoring points. Yes. And it, it was kind of a waste of five or six points a game because you know those are there. And, you know, the Jazz are 27th in points per game right now. So it's like, there's more points to be had. Let's get them where we can. And Rudy Gobert is one of those places where you can get 10 to 12 points a game. You know, if you set him up right and you use his talents. And I, you know, that, that screen and roll is one place where I feel like they've not been as active, especially given when they put that, you know, supposed death lineup out there. You've got four guys who can run the pick and roll as the ball handler, and Rudy Gobert as your roll man. So, you'd think they'd try it a little more often. Well, yeah, not only that, I just try to get that feed in, but I've seen plenty of instances where Rudy had sealed either the his main defender or the five, he sealed him deep enough in the paint where he's calling for the ball and it doesn't get to him, or he's sealing a smaller guy. I mean, Rudy's not the best when he has to play in the post. We know that. It's it's historic, you know. But um, if he's got a guy sealed down in the paint, all Rudy needs to do. I mean, we've seen him go up reverse dunk all the time. Just stand and jump and put the ball in. He can do that. If he's sealing his guy, you know, Basketball 101 says if the big has his guy sealed that low in the paint, you get it to the big. So, I mean, it's just, yeah, I mean, it's just these weird reads that they're just not making. Everyone's trying to go back to, like, making the home run play. I hope they break that habit soon. Um, But all in all, the foundation is there. There are signs. That's that's the point of this is there are signs that good things are coming. It's just a matter of consistency. Yeah, I think that's something that. You know, we'll try and you know, obviously keep the record up. But, yeah, once you hit December, January, hopefully we'll see this team hit that stride. Sure, yeah. And, you know, become an elite team because we were expecting an elite team coming into the season. We're not quite getting that. We're getting elite parts of a team, such as the defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're just waiting on those other elite aspects that were promised us. And, you know, maybe fans and ourselves are a little impatient here. But... We can at least, you know, again, take solace that the good things are coming. But let's let's talk about something that's uh, already been really good and something that's really exceeded my expectations, uh, and that is Boyan Bogdanovich. This guy, love it. Yeah, that's <laughs> I'm I'm loving it. 
Uh, I mean, this guy, you, you talk about Mike Conley struggling to start the season. Boyan has done anything but struggle, uh, especially on the offensive end. And even on defense, he's doing really well. You know, he's come up with some really good steals and just some you know, good enough defense. Obviously, he's not exactly you know, Kawhi Leonard out there as a defensive wing, but mm-hmm. you know, it just felt like you couldn't have asked for better. I mean, most of the time, you'll sign a you know, heavy as like middle, upper-tier kind of free agent signings, you know, the a tier or two below the star free agent signings, like the Kevin Durant's and the Kyrie Irving's and the, the you know, go down the list like that. You get these guys like Boyan who are the underrated, you know, small market people celebrate signing them. And usually what ends up happening is these guys end up busting out and they don't do so well. I mean, Jeff Green was this, almost the exact same kind of guy about five or six years ago where a team would have celebrated signing him because he was this kind of second tier star player that a small market might try and go after and overpay. Well, Boyan, we signed him and then, you know, we're doing all that hubbaloo over him and he's actually living up to it and exceeding just about everything we could have asked for him. You know, he's scoring 20 points per game right now. He's shooting out of his mind. He's carried the jazz in multiple games. Yep. And, and up until Sacramento, the jazz were undefeated when they had Boyan out there on the court. Yeah, I absolutely. I mean, I really don't know what else to add to this. I mean, he is he has definitely exceeded expectations. Um and we've got to see like obviously, you know, I primarily only watch the Jazz. I still appreciate when I can watch other NBA games, but when we when I've seen Boyan play for the Pacers, especially when Oladipo went out, he became the number one option. So, you know, we knew and obviously Jazz Brass knew that coming into signing him that you know he was a guy they wanted um and boy that contract looks really like kind of a budget right now you know what i mean like we got him on a steal he's he's a he's a 110 percent competitor dude just is money from behind the three it's kind of ridiculous he's basically everything when you know people talk about you know maybe gordon hayward not leaving and teaming up with donovan mitchell this is basically that, perhaps sure. a little better, or maybe just different in some areas. He feels mm-hmm. like a better offensive player in a lot of ways than Gordon Hayward was. Uh, just He's been a better shooter, and he's able to get to the basket a little better. And that's the thing that always surprises me, is just how he just you know kind of put his head down and just get to the basket and finish. And he just uses his length. It's like when you're, you know, it's like a diet version of watching LeBron James or some of these other guys, or like Giannis, where it's just like, you can't stop me from getting to the rim, and I'm going to finish when I get to the rim. Um, again, obviously, Boyan's not LeBron or Anadokounmpo, but it has that kind of feel to it where it's like, what are you going to do to stop him? When he wants to score, he's scoring, and that's really the scariest thing for an, for a defense is to face a guy who's playing like Boyan. Is. Just, what are you going to do to stop him? Oh, for sure. He's a point A to B guy. And... No doubt about it. I mean, he, yeah, exactly. He's so versatile on the offensive end. He can hurt you in so many different ways. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's awesome to see it. It's awesome to, like I said, I mean, we thought I thought that he was going to be our our Jeff Hornacek, and he's proving to be even more than Jeff Hornacek. And that's not to discredit Jeff Hornacek in any stretch of the imagination. Like Jeff yeah. Hornacek is irreplaceable as far as you know those Hall of Famers go. But, yeah, I mean, Boyan, he's got – I just cannot wait to see how well um, he is – well, there will be his bad games. Everyone does. But yeah. 
um, I'm just excited to see, you know, what he's going to do for us over the next four years. It's awesome. Yeah, I think he'll be doing a lot of good things, especially at least these two years, because he is on, he's now on the wrong side of 30 officially. Sure. Which does worry you, but the fact is, his game isn't really predicated on athleticism, so it's really just about him staying healthy. Yep. And, you know, as long as he keeps that, by the time he's 34, he'll still be a good player. And Utah's championship window that they've tried to build here is about two years wide. Maybe three if they're lucky. Mm-hmm. Well, really two because Mike Collins on, I think, only two years left. So we'll see. But, you know, again, just looking at it right now, there's really nothing wrong you can say about Boyan's play. And, and that's really the, the spectacular thing about this. And one player who, I mean, that's really affected, I think, a lot is Donovan Mitchell. You know, we spent the entire offseason since we signed all these guys, Conley and Boyan and all the rest, talked about what Donovan Mitchell would do with space. And then he 100% has lived up to that. And I don't know if I've ever seen a guy live up to the hype like that, at least for my team. But when you look at Donovan Mitchell, what he's been able to do with space, I mean, he's shooting 51% overall shooting 38% from three. Like, this guy, you know, I remember watching, which, which game was it? Oh, I can't figure out which, which game I'm thinking of. Um, might have been that first Kings game, or maybe might have been even the Oklahoma City Thunder game, the first game of the season, where you'd see Donovan cut to the basket, or he'd get into the key, and there's, like, maybe one guy who's kind of in the key with him. And it's like, he used to never be like this. Donovan Mitchell would drive to the key. There's three guys there. Right. And he'd have to, like, do some weird contortionist thing to, to get around them. And obviously not every play is like that. There's still times where he has to kind of drive into the teeth of the defense. But last year it was an every play thing. This year it's like every other play, every third play maybe. And he's making defenses pay because now that his shots are a little easier – He's making them a lot more. So, and he's also doing pretty well in the mid-range game. The, those mid-range shots that he, you know, took for a long, you know, has been taking his whole season, and also kind of that mid-range, you know, middle of the key type floaters where he's like just inside the free throw line. He he take those floaters. He used to miss those a ton, and he misses mid-range shots a ton. He's making those shots now, and it's making him an incredibly deadly offensive weapon. Oh, yeah, no. He's become money in that top-of-the-key shot. It's kind of ridiculous. I mean, you're seeing not only just the hard work he did in the offseason, but all the stuff that he was taught by Greg Popovich and his run with the Team USA. He's he's And now that he has that space, it's scary. Um, I was going to say that I can't remember what game it was, but Donovan plays with like this better flow. Have you noticed like he's very he's figuring out what what kind of pace he wants to play with and he's got like a different swagger to him when he's dribbling the ball now. And it's really cool to see because he's becoming more like not that he wasn't confident before, but he's becoming even more confident in just who he is as a basketball player. And now that he's got all this extra space to work with, I mean, yeah, it's awesome to see. I mean, this is numbers that we saw in the latter half of the last two seasons. 
and now we're seeing it at the beginning of the year. I mean, what is this going to look like here in a month? You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think you're definitely right as far as him playing with you know different confidence and carrying on from last season. Yeah, it's just, you know, I, I was talking to somebody yesterday about Donovan Mitchell and his improvements and like, you know, I was actually talking about something I felt like Donovan Mitchell was lacking. And, uh, but he was like, you know, sometimes he, this guy told me that sometimes we forget that Donovan Mitchell's in his third year now. Mm-hmm. And that there are things that he is going to lack. You know, most young players lack completely uh, in a lot of cases in their first year and second year. And we were expecting Donovan Mitchell and just kind of expecting him to play like a veteran, like a fifth or sixth year veteran, like already in his prime. And, you know, so sometimes that puts some unfair expectations. But now that he is playing like that, he's starting to fully realize himself. That's the scariest thing we talk about is we talk about the Donovan Mitchell's two or three years, you know, before his prime. You know, his prime years of like, you know, 26 to 29 years old, so to speak. And he's like, what, 23, 24? I forget exactly how old he is, but yeah. I think, yeah, I think he's only 22. Yeah, 22. So just this this young kid, and now he's starting to you know, like like you said, play with, you know, play more like a veteran. You know, he he understands who he is because that's one of the things that veterans know about themselves. They know exactly who they are. They know what they're supposed to be like. They know how they're supposed to play. And Donovan Mitchell's starting to do that. You know, look at you look yeah. at a young kid like Emmanuel Mudiay. He doesn't really know what his role is because he's just still thinking, "Oh, I'm the best player out here." Um. And so Donovan Mitchell is playing really smarter, I think. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. He's making better reads. Um, he's still, he's making ridiculous passes. Like his vision has all of a sudden become not that he wasn't capable of it before, but he's really good at just you know playing loose. He's not overthinking anything anymore. It's really, really. I mean, it's scary. <laughs> it's scary for everybody else, and. Like, I mean, yeah, he's playing like a veteran in his third year. And that's just, I mean, he was even well beyond his years, his rookie year. So, I mean, the sky's the limit for him. And not only that, his defense has improved significantly. Yeah, he's just gotten better all around. And I mean, you mentioned offense and passing. He's cut his turnovers by more than half. Yeah, he's efficient. He's become so much more efficient. It's it's insane. Yeah, this is a guy who's averaging 24 points. You know, almost three assists on 1.3 turnovers a game. You know, Don't forget those this two is a high, steals. Yeah. yeah and, and the two steals. So, yeah, it's just this is a high-volume score averaging 1.3 turnovers. I mean, you just don't see that. Especially and, for a guy who shrunk two inches. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, to be honest, I wasn't, I wasn't really surprised by that. It's, he was he was definitely a lot shorter than he was letting him. Yeah, just... he always looked shorter than he actually was listed for sure. <laughs> yeah, and to be honest, everyone is pretty much shorter than they were listed. Yeah, with with only really a handful of exceptions. Mm-hmm. So, I don't think did Kevin Durant's height come out? So I know everybody was uh, always saying this guy's a seven footer, and I'm like, no, he's not a seven footer. I mean, he is freakishly tall. I mean, all yeah, NBA well, so players is everybody are in the NBA. Tall. Yeah, um, I don't know if I, if he if there is, I haven't seen it. Yeah, maybe nobody's made a fuss about it yet, just because 
Yeah, everyone was always saying, "Hey, he's a seven footer. Look at him next to, you know, DeAndre Jordan. He's taller than DeAndre Jordan." I was like, hey, DeAndre Jordan's like six foot eight. You yeah. know, hiding hiding behind being six foot ten or six foot eleven. So it's and I think I saw pictures of him next to like Greg Monroe or something like that. I, I can't remember who it was. Or maybe it was Dwight Howard. And he was shorter than those guys. It's like heights are a conspiracy, but everyone's pretty much shorter than they're listed. Not taller. Yeah, well, it's, it's those shoes. Yeah, it's the shoes. They give you two inches. I'd be six two in the NBA. I'd be six foot. <laughs> <laughs> Let me see, uh, I'd be taller than several NBA players out there. Listed at you know six two or six three. It'd be it'd be nice. Yeah. All right, so let's. Let's change topics once again. Um, let's see. So we talked about a lot of positive things, you know, Boyan and Donovan, but we're going to talk about one one negative thing that could impact the Jazz over the next three or four weeks. I think four weeks, depending on. Uh, so Ed Davis, basically, we're talking about. He uh, had, I believe, it was some kind of fract- uh, fracture in his leg. Fibula. Yeah. So I think they said he's going to be evaluated in four weeks. So at, at least four weeks, possibly more. Uh, if he's like Dante Exum, evaluated. In- <laughs> uh, so I don't know. And the big thing with this is that, you know, the Jazz are now going to feel some real lack of depth here at center. Because, you know, as, as far as starting centers, they're 100% fine and are really better than pretty much the entire NBA, or at least as good as anyone in the NBA. But when Gobert has to come off for, you know, at least 15 minutes a game usually, I mean, maybe at worst at least 10. You need to come up with at least 10 minutes per game of somebody. And I'm not very confident in who the Jazz have behind Ed Davis, namely Tony Bradley. Um, you know, for me, I'm of the opinion that Tony Bradley is only in the league because he was a first-round pick. Because I, I just don't feel like he's shown any real potential for playing in the NBA. Hmm. I, I, I'm a believer in Tony Bradley because... He makes pretty good decisions defensively. He's not an above-the-rim type of player like Rudy Gobert where he can go up, grab a lob, and dunk it. But he's very good. I've always I've always loved his footwork. Now, I know he hasn't played all that much, but he has really good footwork. Um, I mean, for the most part, he's been raw, but he's played the last three years with the Stars on and off. And anytime he's been with the Stars, that's still NBA-level talent. You're just not at that level yet um but he always performs really well for the stars so i mean i understand that you know you don't feel confident with him and that's fine that's totally fair he hasn't really proven himself he really hasn't also had the time to do it most of the time we see him come in is for garbage minutes um unfortunately he has to play against the clippers tonight so you know (laughs) It, this this is going to be a giant wake-up call. He's either going to answer the call 
admirably or it's going to be a disaster. It's it's I mean that's going to be one of those two things. I'm leaning more towards contained disaster. <laughs> Mostly because again we're looking at 12 to 15 minutes a game and I think the Jazz are going to have some small lineups out there tonight. Oh so, yeah. Yeah. I think that'll be fine. But again this is it's kind of a long-term thing where it's more wear on Gobert. He has to be in there yep. for 35, 36, 37 minutes a game, whereas you'd much rather be hauling him out there for 32 or something like that. I think he's averaging 33 minutes a game. That's right about where you want him as far as minutes. Every now sure. and again, yeah. yes, you're going to be playing him for 38, maybe even 40 minutes. That happens. four weeks of playing nearly 40 minutes a game because that can wear on him. That can affect his performance. You have back to backs, three games and four nights and, and those kind of things. And you lose games because you've got a tired legs, Rudy Gobert, who, because he's been playing an extra six minutes a night, is effectively in his regular 32 minutes a night. And that's not even talking about the 10 to 15 minutes of Tony Bradley or the eight minutes of Tony Bradley and six minutes of, you know, Jeff Green at center, or whatever they decide to do. So we'll see. If Tony Bradley can at least hold the fort, I didn't really think Ed Davis was playing spectacularly. He had his yeah. moments. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're just averaging five rebounds a game in 12 minutes. For me, like, as a backup center, what I want to see you do is especially with the Jazz, is rim protect as much as you can, rebound as well as you can, and if you can do some pick and roll, that's some gravy. That's why I love Derek Favors. He's really good at all three of those. Right. More so than any backup in the NBA, and better than a lot of starting centers. Yeah, and, and now, really good hands. And then we have nobody. So, I mean, if Tony Bradley can come out here and do some rim protection, I mean, the dude's, is he six foot ten? Rudy? Or 6'11". No, Tony Bradley. Oh, uh, 6'10", I believe. Yeah, 6'10". So, I don't know about rim protection. Um, I don't know what his total I, with the stars are, but... Honestly, I mean, go back and... I mean, you could probably find some footage. Tony Bradley is a pretty, pretty damn good uh, rim protector. Yeah, if he can defend the rim... And if he can rebound and hold down the fort where Rudy Gobert's out, then, you know, that's what we need out of him. I'm just not 100% confident he can do that. Maybe I'm wrong. I've been wrong before. So. Yeah. I, you know, again, I, I, we don't, we don't really know. We won't know until we see what he could do tonight. I mean, he's, I mean, he's going up against who they got, Harold, and I don't even know who their backup center is. Um, so yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what he does, but I'm with you in the Ed Davis thing. I've just, you know, I've seen Ed Davis, you know, tear up tons of teams with just his offensive, his offensive rebounding ability. And he's a much better defender than what we've seen out of him so far, which is really bizarre. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, he definitely has underperformed based on what I was thinking. Cause I was thinking he's a, you know, above average backup center. Yeah. Closer to the top, like, 20% as far as backup centers. You know, you're not worried about him when he's on the court. But, yeah, so far I'm like, oh, Ed Davis is on the court. We don't have really any kind of production at center or anything worthwhile at center, which right. is, I mean, 
you have some of that with your backups. But again, it's being worried when your backups enter in versus uh okay, they'll hold this they'll hold the tide until the starters come back in. Exactly. Yeah. So well <laughs> that that'll be the adventure. That's that's how the NBA season goes. There's injuries. There's guys who are going to be out for two or three weeks or maybe a couple of games or so. And that that's the mark of a good regular season team is that you know, they have depth. They can handle these kind of things. Uh, they, they can handle when they, uh, you know, when they, they lose some depth. You go down to your 15th or 16th or 17th man on the roster, you know, you're digging into your two-way players. And... This is the first test for the Jazz. They have to rely on the backups of the backups of their stars. Yeah, yep. Yeah, this is going to be a test tonight, not just for the starters, but for Tony Bradley specifically. I mean, this dude's going to be nervous as all get out tonight, but it's, yeah, it's how he how he reacts to it and how he bottles it up because, I mean, everyone's going through their own stresses throughout the game. It's just a matter of how you channel it. Yeah. Yes, we'll see how he lives up to that, and then, well, there's everybody else. We'll <laughs> yeah. see how they live up to you know, Mike Conley and the rest of the guys struggling right now. Uh, well, Grantley, again, I feel like it's only Mike Conley because, well, and also Joe Ingles, that's a guy we haven't touched on that I know we were chatting about just before, is we feel like he's disappeared a little from the offense, uh, partially by design, but also because – he is only shooting 37% overall and 33% from three. So I think if he starts making his shots, this is a guy who's still averaging 28 points a game. He's not a starter, but he should be playing a little better than he is, I think. Yeah, he should be. Because um, the Lakers game, he shot twice. <laughs> you know, yeah, he's... I mean, I know Joe Ingles is one of those complete players where he's going to do what he feels is, you know, necessary for the win. But, I mean, too many times we see, even last season, we saw him become a little too tentative. He didn't want to shoot. He wanted to make sure he was making the right play. But, you know, when we ask for him to be assertive, then there were those games like, um, I think it was a Golden State game last year where everyone was just garbage. And all of a sudden, Joe Ingles was like, I'm going to take this over. And he was just trotting down the court and pulling up for three and nailing it. I mean, it, the dude's capable of great things. And yeah, we need to see more of him, especially if his new role is as the sixth man. The sixth man is supposed to be the guy that, you know, when he comes into the game, you're not missing much. He's the guy yeah. that's supposed to be the X Factor. And you're obviously, expect- our X Factor is 32 years old, so it's a little bit different. So... But he's talented. He's very good. He's very good with looking people away and using his body. And, you know, he has all t- sorts of tricks in his bag. And we just need to see it more for sure. Yeah, and this is the guy who's second on the team in assists right now. He's averaging 3.8, second only to Mike Conley, the starting point guard. See, and maybe even that needs to go up. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's okay where it's at, you know, three point, maybe get it a little over four. Especially yeah. since he's seeing a cut in minutes. Yeah, the, the shooting is definitely something that has to go up because, yeah, when he comes in, we're expecting starting level production mm-hmm. from a six man, especially for a guy like Joe Ingles. We, you know, the, the fans were thinking, oh, yeah, maybe he can get a six player of the year or something like that. You know, six player of the year is usually better than about a third of the starters in the NBA. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I think Joe Ingles is, you know, has that level of talent and ability to be better than a third of the starters in the NBA playing as a sixth man. Uh, so, again, if the Jazz can get increased production from Ingles and Conley without losing a ton from the other guys as far as efficiency, again, that's, that's something to be scared of for the NBA. Yeah, absolutely. And I did. Uh, we failed to mention, too, that Emmanuel Moutier is out tonight with left hamstring tightness. So we're going to have a new backup point guard tonight, too, which uh, will most likely be Nigel Williams-Goss. Yeah, that'll be interesting. I, I like him, but I don't know. Emmanuel Moutier, Moutier has kind of been a weird signing because, you know, when they signed him, this is a guy who averaged 15 points a game last season, I believe. And everybody was like, you know, third stringer, you know, really railing on him. <clears throat> and, you know, I didn't know a whole lot about Moutier other than the 15 points a game. And, you know, they played in New York. But so the impression that I kind of built from that, you know, his reputation from New York and the fact that he was able to score 15 points a game is this is a volatile guy. This is a guy who can score, but there's a lot wrong with him. And I think that's what we've gotten in, in Utah. Like the Oklahoma City game, I think he scored like 14 points or something like that. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, Moutier. And I was like, okay, let's pump the brakes a little bit. This is one game. He did right. this last year. He averaged more than this last year. Mm-hmm. And and so for the rest of the season, we've seen some of those things pop up. He's second on the team. Uh, is he second on the team? No, third on the team in turnovers, averaging 18 minutes a game. Of all the rotation guys, he has the worst turnover rate. Yeah. Uh, at least as far as like per 100 and per 36 minutes. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. The reason he played so well is because he was actually making the right choices at the right time. Yeah. And well, he was also making the shots when he was making bad decisions. Right. A lot of times in the Oklahoma City games, he was making dumb decisions, but he was making the shot, and so you kind of ignore that. You'd be like, oh, yeah, he made the shot. Sure. Like, okay, good. It's like when a guy takes a 40-foot three-pointer and he makes it. You ignore the fact that that was a dumb decision. but Yeah. You know. So, but I still do like Moutier as, as a backup, or even especially as a third stringer, because he does bring a scoring punch. And I think I said this during the offseason, where it's like the faults that Moutier brings won't be exaggerated and won't be as problematic because he's in a backup or a third string role. Yeah. So I think he's done pretty well right now, you know, filling in for Dante Exum until Dante Exum someday returns. Yeah, yeah. All right, so that's about all we have for this week. Again, the Clippers are playing, so again, and you'll know the result by the time you listen to this podcast because I'm about to turn the game on because it's about to start. So we're going we're gonna to get to finish up this Jazz podcast, and then we're going to get to watch some Utah Jazz and watch Tony Bradley and not Emmanuel Moutier. And <laughs> that was mean. Uh, we'll get to watch Boyan and Mike Conley and Rudy Gobert and all the rest of the gang, and uh, hopefully they'll get themselves to 5-2 uh, and two and not 4-3. and three. But again, thanks so much for listening. Uh, again, this is Jason Walker joined by Trey Sanders. I don't think I said that at the start of the podcast, but if you're listening, you already know that probably. But anyway, I thanks for listening. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll talk to you next week.